Hey, everybody, welcome to Be Better Tomorrow, your show for personal and professional development. I am your host, Jason Fisher, and this month I've got probably the most appropriate person and topic that I could think of. Larry English, the president of Centric Consulting and author of the new book, Office Optional, How to Build a Connected Culture with Virtual Teams. I've worked for Centric Consulting for about the past four years, and being a completely virtual company and having the culture that they have is quite frankly astounding. So there's no better person to understand how you can create a good culture with remote teams than Larry English. So you're saying that the, the promotion is the difficult part. Um, are you dealing with that a little bit better now? Are you getting used to it? Not yet, because so it's kind of interesting. I writing this book, I talked to a number of friends that had written, and they they were like, "Hey, half of the effort is writing the book, and then the other the other half is marketing and promoting the book." And this has been a year and a half labor of love, and my wife's not ready to kill me. Um, <laughs> the only way that I could get this done is to do it on weekends, because to really write a coherent piece, uh, you know, words um, and thoughts, you need uninterrupted time to really have deep, you know, if you've read the book, Deep Thought, you need that to really put something great together. Yes, I, I agree. I, I've started getting up like five in the morning to have that, a couple, couple of hours. My, I don't know about you, but my mind is the sharpest when I first wake up and I do my best work then. And so I exactly right. I try to do that. To, to answer your original question of getting more comfortable of putting myself out there and being in front of it, you know, we're just starting to launch the book. And so there'll be more speaking and more podcasts and we'll, we'll find out the jury is still out. Uh, I really enjoyed the book and I'm, I hesitate to say if it's just because I recognize some of the people or because I, because I'm attracted to centric in the first place, obviously I've been with the company for four years and I've stayed because of the people and the culture. It's, it's a different place to work. So I enjoyed it. I think regardless, but it was really nice to read, get to read the story and get to the end and go, I know that guy. Now I'm now I have a, a joke with him. Well, thank you. First of all, and you've hit on kind of the core component of what I try to do was there's so many business books that are super boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I tried to make this a fun, you know, airplane kind of uh, length read and the best part are the stories that bring to life the points you're trying to make. It makes it very real and tangible for people. And um, we have such wonderful history and the stories are ways where you actually pass on culture. And so I'm glad you picked up on that because I think that I, when I go back through and I um, reread it before it's about to be published because I've got to um, approve it, the stories make it put a smile on my face. Um, it makes me happy and excited. Um, so I think that's kind of the power of the book and why people enjoy the read. Yeah, and it, it's that shared experience of those things. When you first come into a new group, you hear the inside jokes, you hear the references, or you see the pictures. Once you get used to that, and you're like, oh, now I'm not the outsider getting it for the first time. Now I'm part of the culture that's creating these things. I, that's one of the things that I've loved in the way we create something special at Centric for being a remote company. You know, for those who aren't familiar, Centric is, is almost completely virtual. We have a few studio spaces in various strategic locations, but for the most part, we're either at clients or we're working from home. But we still, this book is in a lot of ways just how the history of Centric has created a culture that still binds us together. Is that fair? It's right on. And the reason that we did it was not to save money. It was because one of the core values was to have a better work-life balance for people. And we felt like if we could be remote, that would allow people to have better flexibility in their life when they weren't at a client site. And if you fast forward 
um, now to today, where not only with the pandemic, remote work was gaining steam. Part of that is the world has changed and corporate business has changed where it's become more acceptable and people are demanding that now. I think with the pandemic where even the most stalwart companies that were super conservative and refused to do remote work, um, this is, <laughs> they're like, whoa, this actually works. This, um, and then the employees are like, hey man, that commute that I was doing, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to go work over a XYZ company that allows me to work remote. So I think what you'll see is accelerated adoption of this remote work. And, and you're hitting on one of the, why I wrote the book is people just didn't understand how, one, how we could operate a remote company, but even more important than that, how can you stay connected and actually have a, a, a great culture um, as well? Yeah, because I worked at a few places that allowed like a remote day. Everybody could take work from home Thursday, but we, or everybody picked a different day. So somebody was in the office at any given time, but never for a company that was completely remote. Although talking to some of my newer developer friends, that's what they're expecting. They almost expect to work remote anywhere they go. So I think things were changing even before the pandemic, but I think things will change even more afterwards. Yes, and I think what you'll find is, especially with the gig economy, you won't be able to get the top resources uh, or even those niche skills that you need because they they will not. Um, they're like, hey, I, I work. That's my <laughs> I work remote. That's it. Right. <laughs> you want me? And so I think for you to be competitive as an organization, you're not going to have a choice. And if you're one of the best, you can kind of demand that even before this. So exactly right. For you, how did you intentionally build a different culture? And what is it that you think makes Centric different that they can operate in this model? So what makes Centric's culture different? So virtual is a component of it, but the culture is so much more than that. We are a people first, culture first organization. And even the name centric, that's where it comes from, is we wanted to put our clients and our employee happiness at the heart of everything that we do. It's our core purpose. And uh, one of our core values is investing in an exceptional culture. And so what does that mean or what does that look like? It's actually our secret sauce. Um, There's a, a famous quote that culture eats strategy for lunch. And what that means is you have a team that loves working together, they can adapt quickly and they can take on any problem because you have that tight, cohesive uh, culture. Let me put it into terms so you can see what it feels like. I had somebody comment, I think this was last week, they were, uh, they've been around for two or three months as an employee of Centric and they're like, I have yet to meet a person that I didn't love that was, you know, the people are exceptional. And then this was just last week, a new client that we started working with, they said, hey, this is the most caring and empathetic consulting company that we've ever worked with. Everybody's nice to, to interact with, they care about our business. And so it feels more like a family. You're excited to go to a company event because it's a reunion of friends more than it is uh, co-workers. And so when you build a culture that feels like that, you have something very powerful. And then the, you know, there is actually monetary ROI. There's been a lot of studies done. I think it's a Gallup study that said that companies with highly engaged culture have a 59% higher revenue per employee than a company that doesn't. And so happy employees provide amazing customer service. They stay with the company longer and they attract great new hires. And so there's, you know, great ROI and, and business advantage to having a great culture. I don't know if you've, if I've mentioned this story to you before, but I thought there was some cult-like aspects when I first was interviewing. 
because I kept hearing the same, the same concepts from people and some of the same stories. And I thought, well, either they've rehearsed and this is just the line they tell everybody, or it's true. Those are the two options in this case. I, I get on board, I think eight weeks I was at a client and then they had a, a downturn and I went to the bench. Now, this is my first consulting job and I'm, I'm telling my wife, I need to start looking for a new job because I, I can't stay on the bench long and I don't want to get fired. Eight weeks later on the bench, I was having lunch with one of our other partners and I told him this story. He's like, well, do you believe us now? We don't just cut you loose. Your quality will get you back on a, on a project. Just give us, just give, give us time. And that was the longest I'd ever been on the bench since, but it, it was scary because I didn't recognize that, no, we're people first. We're going to take care of you. We mean it. And I told somebody that at another meeting where I was giving a, giving a workshop and they were like, I thought the same thing. I told my wife, I thought I joined a cult. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. It's because the people are authentically nice, but not looking to get something else out of you. But it was, it was a great experience to be like, Hey, I don't have to be scared anymore. And like, since that day, I, I recognized that we actually mean what we say. It was great. Well, I hear that all the time when new hires join us. So they'll say during the recruiting process, they're like, I'm a little suspicious uh, because <laughs> I heard this so consistently. I don't believe it because I've been burned so many times before where the outward facing marketing of a company is completely different than what happens when you get inside. Absolutely. Uh, and so it's a, it's a huge compliment. And I, I hear it all the time. They're like, wow, you guys really do uh, live what you're saying. But there's actually a lot of structure that goes behind that. Um, and that's part of how you build a sustainable uh, virtual culture. Um, so, you know, we train everybody. We actually um, have tried to figure out what culture attributes are important in uh, the people that we hire, the ones that we can't train, that people just naturally have to have to come on board the company. And then we try to actually try to take our time during the recruiting process because we want people to really know what they're getting into and appreciate and value our culture because not everybody does and save us both some time. And then once people are here, um, we train all of our leadership on our core values and our culture and we train all of our employees on it. And so that's why there's hopefully that consistency. That was a big worry of ours. Uh, once we, so we're, you know, we're close to a thousand people now. And when we started this and we were like, we're looking around, we're like, we love this culture. This is fun. We love everybody. How in the world are we going to keep it if we scale? And we had to scale because you have all these great people here. <clears throat> they need growth um, to have a great rewarding career. And so you're, you're going to naturally have to scale. And so I actually went out and I researched a bunch of companies that had retained their culture as, as they scaled. I was trying to figure out what the secret was mm. and, it, and it actually came down to leadership. And so sure. what I saw that is if you have all of your leaders that are running pieces of your organization and they exemplify your culture and they live it and they train it and all the folks that are um, in their piece of the organization, that allows you to scale your organization. And so it's not an accident or a you know, happy accident that when you are interviewing, everybody is saying the same thing because we actually work very hard on it behind the scenes. Yeah, not in a, this is what we want you to say, but to make sure that pe people are all on the same page as far as the culture goes. And I think most of the people I interviewed with had been around for 10 or 12 years because they were all senior partners or leadership in the organization. So they've been around yeah. for a while. So with everybody working a little more virtually now, do you have any tips for both leaders trying to lead those teams and develop those teams and the workers themselves on how they can improve that kind of work quality? 
Yeah, absolutely. So let me start. If you're an individual listening and you want to be a better remote worker, there's a number of things that I would share. So one is bringing your whole self to work. Uh, let your personality shine through. That is actually how we make a connection. And we take time at the beginning of our calls to make sure we share the person uh, because that's when you know everybody, you feel more connected to them. Another one is being vulnerable. And this is one I've struggled with for years, but vulnerability is a shortcut to trust. And so when people see you, when you model vulnerability, people are going to trust each other faster and they're going to become uh, you know, a tighter, cohesive team. Uh, <laughs> one second, this is one of the problems of working virtually. My son just walked in. Sorry about that. That's bro. I know the feeling. So another one of the skills that we have is it's when you have a difficult conversation to have, we actually have a learning pathway on a book called Crucial Conversations. So having a difficult conversation, even when you're face-to-face is hard, but if you do that virtually, it can be even better. So training people on how to do that and learning how to have a conversation where the stakes are high, where you can actually build the relationship at the end of it, then, then hurt it. Uh, and then finally, you know, be a contributor. Um, so sharing helpful content and helping your coworkers, uh, timely matter, all of those things will help you be a better remote worker. Just had a conversation with a friend of mine who's an SVP out in Silicon Valley. And he said, with all this happening, people would, would never have small talk on their conference calls because they're getting the small talk in their various offices around the world, but not with each other who they're supposed to be on the same team with. But now they're making time to make those connections. And I think if we can carry that through to not, you know, when this, with, we're back to whatever the new normal looks like, if we can carry that through to making connections with people, starting with good morning, asking about weekends, finding those connection points. Um, I think that'll really help to draw people together and make sure that we're, we're connecting with one another in some way. Building personal connection has been one of the reasons that we've been successful as a, as, as a virtual culture. Building that trusty vulnerability is, crucial, I think, for, for leadership and for workers, because I've been in a few places where it felt like there wasn't trust to get my job done. You've hired me to accomplish a task, especially in cases where I had to be on call 24 hours. I, I literally had somebody tell me, I don't care if you're here till six o'clock in the morning, workday starts at eight. Right. <laughs> because you don't trust me to not work the right amount of hours or to get my job done. I'm not sure where this is, but I don't know if I want to work with you anymore because if we can't trust each other, this is going to be miserable. So the, the very first chapter in the book is if you want to have a successful remote virtual culture, it has to start with trust. If you're not going to trust your employees to you know, work a professional day and get done what they need to, and you're going to try and monitor them, there's actually software where you can monitor if somebody's sitting at their desk and if they're clicking their mouse. Jeez. You, you can certainly go that route, but you are not going to have a great culture. People are happier when they are trusted to get the work done. So I advise, there's so many executives that I've talked to, they're like, I can't possibly do remote because I couldn't trust my team. You shouldn't even try that. But what's interesting is because of this pandemic, everybody was forced to work remote all of a sudden. Right. And all the executives that I've been talking to are like, wow, this, this went way better than I thought. I am going to be okay with at least a portion of my workforce being remote going forward in the future. Uh, so this kind of un, uh, unexpected experiment has, I think is going to accelerate remote work. I think so as well.
I've already heard some of our cl local clients talk about running out parts of their building um, to not bring everyone back and figure finding ways to recoup some of those losses until their leases expire. I think everyone's going to get a little more used to it. Uh, we were talking today just about how education as a whole may change. Uh, people aren't going to go back to campus. They get used to doing mm -hmm. online classes. And then it becomes a question of how do we figure out those networking opportunities. So we've been doing virtual lunches every day here. Uh, and every Thursday we do like a virtual game day. There's games you can play online remotely that we just get together and hang out and have a good time and, and build those connections. I think it is a learning curve, especially for some of the folks who just, like you said, the executives aren't used to it or maybe don't have that trust with their associates, which is a little bit sad, but I know, I know there's people that we always joke, there's certain places you go to work when you don't really want to work anymore and just live out your <laughs> life. Um, and I'm sure those people exist, but I think for the most part, people want to do a good job. They want to do something that matters. I couldn't agree more. You hit on something that I really want to stress with virtual workforces is we're not saying that we don't get together. Any company that has some portion of the remote, uh, remote workforce needs to strategically figure out when they're going to get together face-to-face. -to -face. So this could be, you have the option to maybe go into the office. And so it's at the team level of, hey, what are the rules and how do we work? And We've done a lot of this and we've, we've kind of figured out um, the factors of when, you know, when a team needs to get together face to face. But on a broader level, those virtual relationships that you've been fostering that started out, they are cemented and deepened when you get together for the first time face to face. And so we get the whole company together three times a year and it's a really expensive but there is something you can't replicate from being virtual that is that happens. There's energy and connection, and it just solidifies, as I said. I don't want people to think that you can, there are some companies that try to do that, but we found that it takes us to a higher level and a deeper culture by you know, folding in sometimes where you're getting together face-to-face. -face. I think it really helps. Some of the traditions that seemed, again, awkward when I first got there because I wasn't in the know, but after you're there for a for a cycle or two through those three meetings getting together, things start to make sense and it feels like, oh, this is just what my family does. It may be unusual for the outsider, but this is how we operate. And it does have that bonding perspective. That same friend of mine actually came with us to our holiday party this year because my wife couldn't make it. And I so introducing him to everybody and he's, so this is what you guys do? I'm like, well, once a year, this is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we actually, we work really hard the rest of the year so we can do things like this and get together. But you know, hanging out at whatever activities we were doing at and meeting different people was a great time. And you, you build relationships for the rest of the year during those moments. It, well, that's exactly right. It, the ROI is impossible <laughs> to quantify, but we right. know it's there because of the, the stories and uh, the, you know, the legends that are from those meetings. Yeah, and some traditions, like you see the same uh, several photos, some of which mentioned in the book, you know, the, the older embarrassing photos, which I got to be a part of this year. I was actually pretty proud of that. <laughs> the how, did, how did you handle that? Well, it shocked me because I had no idea. No, I mean, usually it's come, some of the same folks to get pictures up there. So when that popped up, I was like, nobody warned me that this was happening. And then you asked me about it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm an impromptu guy. I can talk about it. It's fine. Um, I actually met a lot of people ask me what that was about. I'm like, well, I was a, I was a punk kid growing up. So I had, you know, the spiked collar and the hair. And I didn't wear the guy liner, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> so well, yeah, I, that, that, that made me feel like, I'm, hey, now I'm really part of the group because not everybody gets their picture on the wall. So. And really where that comes from is we, 
you know, part of our culture is being humble. And uh, that certainly keeps you humble. <laughs> it sure does. Super embarrassing photo up there for every, all 500 people to see. So if you're a leader right now, struggling with how to build this culture, I know it's probably it's the, the thrust of the whole book, but you're listen, I'm listening to this podcast, my team's remote. How do I start building relationships? How do I start creating an environment where we're working better together uh, where we've been in person before? Any good ideas for that? We have helped a lot of organizations. They kind of, you know, just jumped into this. And what we're starting to see, as I mentioned earlier, uh, organizations are like, hey, this sort of does work. I think I want to permanently adopt remote work. And, you know, everybody's been inundated with like the top 10 lists or the clickbait. That's like just this one thing will make you a better, you know, remote culture. And the reality is we've been building this for 20 years and there is a lot that goes behind the scenes that allows us to create that great virtual culture. So if you are all of a sudden your organization has to be remote and you're trying to build that culture what I would recommend is there's some short-term stuff you can do. And then if you're really going to adopt remote work longer term, you have to have a longer term plan. And that's what kind of what we've been trying to help companies with is we would install as an example, Microsoft teams and just get it up and running. Uh, but we're like, Hey, we've got to, you know, this will get you talking and communicating, but it is not going to last you long, uh, long-term as a strategy. And so we would start to help them think through things like, um, you know, how do you train people to build relationships virtually? Uh, how do you design and when do you design face-to-face gatherings? How do you build in measuring and feedback into your remote culture? You know, how do you think about who you need to hire? Uh, and how do you think about even training your leaders to be better remote managers uh, of folks? And so then you, you would kind of put all of those things in place so that you kind of have a long-term plan. So I don't think there's quick and easy answers if that's what you're looking for. If you're truly going to be remote, there are, uh, there's a lot to it. I don't know if that's helpful or not, Jason. No, it, it is. I think there's, like I said, there's some little things that you can do, like setting up teams or something like that that gives you the tools that you need and then starting to establish the cultural expectations and the unwritten rules that you talk about for how we're, how we're going to go forward and modeling that as the leader. You say don't always require cameras. I would love to require cameras just because getting that face-to-face interaction is a little bit easier when you have some face instead of, you know, a a still picture. Not required because some people have different schedules. That's fair. But starting to establish what those rules are, how we can see one another. We understand the room might be messier. We we understand kids might walk into the room. You know, the first time it happens when it's your leader and your kid walks in, just play cool. It happens. We're all working from home. Kids are all homeschooled now. It's been my life forever, but not for everybody. So Along with those same, how can a leader help support this, this remote culture? How can an individual contributor support the culture of the company if they're remote? Sure. So we go through, a, as I mentioned, we go through a new hire training on our culture. It's a day-long session because we think it's so important. Everybody in that meeting, I tell them they are now a culture protector. And what I mean by that is their job now is to make sure that everybody that we hire aligns to our culture. And so you mentioned early on that uh, when you interviewed, everybody was saying the same thing and then you got here and everybody was doing the same thing. You have an individual role in that. And that's what we ask everybody to do. Uh, so many people don't take the time to know and live the core values, and, but that's, that's how people 
we're able to say the same thing and, and that's how you really get a cohesive and consistent culture. So as an individual taking the time to um, know what those core values are and how to live them are really critical. And then we want people to share ideas on how to improve the culture. When somebody comes in, they offer a really fresh perspective of maybe a blind spot. And so that helps us make our culture better. So we want people to not be afraid to suggest uh, that. Does that help? Yeah, I think it does. If the organization has that same kind of mindset, there's a lot of places still probably, maybe it's the Midwest, there's a little more conservative and old fashioned companies that kind of uh, don't want information from the bottom up, want it more from the top down. But I think that's a bad method to, to operate in. I think you should be looking for the people who are closest to the situation to bubble up some of that information. So as you said, the newer people who can help you see your blind spots, that's I think that's really crucial. The other thing that I would add is, uh, so when Glassdoor came out, you know, began that trend of one of those anonymous uh, employee posting sites, there were, somebody pointed out to us, but I didn't even know what it was. And uh, there were some bad posts about us and we went out there. And of course, it's somebody that's, you know, really disgruntled and you look at it like, well, that's not really what happened. That's not really fair. But, and so I hated Glassdoor at first, um, but then we learned to embrace it. And what I would say is, anymore every it's the old days where you know marketing controlled everything and the spin every organization is open now and transparent and i think it's a better way to live as a as a company funny story i I looked up centric on glassdoor before i took the role and i had to go back like eight years to find those posts that you're talking about that was another (laughs) thing that made me suspicious i'm like oh they they had everybody go write stuff to (laughs) <laughs> to, to fill it out. No, nobody's ever asked me to write a glass door review since I've gotten here. I think we touched on this, but not explicitly. You were asking about this current environment is going to change work culture in the future. Do you think companies are going to adopt work from home strategies going forward? What I would say is we've had a front row seat because we help organizations implement the software to be you know connected and collaborative and then the change component that goes with that. So we've had a front row seat to companies adopting this. And what I will say is, I would say 100% of them have had enough of a positive experience that they are going to adopt remote strategies going forward. And what's really interesting is there's actually quantitative data to support it because you can look at China and what has happened in China because they're you know three or four months um, ahead of us. And if you actually look at the data, because I think Microsoft is it's like 2.7 billion minutes of Teams a day now across wow. the world. And so you're able to look at that data. And what they're finding is even when China went back to you know, on-premise work, remote access of Teams kept growing. And then they also could see that people were working a more flexible day as well. So it was no longer the eight to five. Um, they adopted some of those flexibility uh, concepts that we talked about. And then what's interesting is the CFOs, of course, love this because they're like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I can reduce my um, space, my lease space, yeah. and I can do all that costly technical equipment as well to have people on site. I love this. I do not want to go back to this. And so I'm going to lease less space. I'm going to, uh, going to permanently adopt remote work. And then they also saw that CFOs could close all the work with no, nobody in the office. They could close the monthly accounting. They're like, done. This is a done deal. And so what we're starting to see is both the qualitative and the quantitative point to 
you know, the, the cat is out of the bag. We are, everybody's going to be remote going forward. That'd be really interesting to watch the culture shift. And it is, it is fun to have a front row seat and watch people from different industries, different areas, different uh, regions be able to, to, to follow through with this. One of the things you point out in the book is people who work remote tend to work more hours. And I think it's true because it's just so easy as connected as we are. Somebody sends you a text and it's seven o'clock. Like I can just respond to that real quick. And then you can get, you can get pulled in and, or you're working late and you're just not paying attention because you're at home. It's not like you need to beat rush hour to, to the living room. It, <laughs> it makes it, it makes it easier to, to be drawn in when you're really excited about what you're doing. And you've hit on most people worry that their workers are going to work less. It is 95% the opposite. Everybody works a lot more and you actually have to train them to not do that because then they're going to get out and they're not going to have a great experience and, and we want them to. Yeah. I get mad at people when they're supposed to be on vacation and they're answering my text messages or emails. Like that's for when you're get your home. Stop it. <laughs> well, my wife is a really good uh, person at stopping me from doing that. She just kind of takes away my phone. We all need wise women in our life to do that. <laughs> all right, Larry, as we're bringing this to a close, I just want to ask you what you're doing today to be better tomorrow, whether that's personally or as a leader, however you want to take it. How am I going to be better tomorrow? There was an organization that I joined about 12 years ago when I was, you know, we were just getting the company off the ground um, called YPO. And I joined it because I wanted to be a better businessman. And what I didn't realize what I was getting into was it was going to make me a much better person. And the way that it did that is you're kind of in this forum format of, let's say, eight to 10 of your peers of other CEOs or presidents of companies. And you're in this complete trust and confidentiality um, environment. And they get to know you. And then they call you out on all of your blind spots. Nice. And that's the thing with a blind spot is it is that thing that you don't see that really will help make you a better person. And so for me, it was a vulnerability and they called me out on it. And, you know, it is like so many things that are a blind spot. It is one of the hardest things to change when you push up against it. Every fiber of your being is pushing back. And so for me, learning to be a vulnerable leader and modeling that, has made a huge difference. Um, and it's, you know, it's because it wasn't a strength, that's a never ending journey for me. And it's always hard, but I've gotten better and better. And so that, you know, that's an example of one thing that has helped me immensely as a leader and that I'll continue to work on and make myself better. Well, that sounded great. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can catch everything we have at BeBetterTomorrow.com. All of our social media is available as well as show notes. I'll have a link in the show notes as always to Larry's book, Office Optional, How to Build a Connected Culture with Virtual Teams. And if you want to learn about this concept, this is the guy to learn it from. He's been doing it for a long time. And I can personally vouch that the experience I've had at Centric is legitimate. It's honest. It is transparent and it is amazing. So thank you again, Larry. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Be Better Tomorrow is released under Creative Commons 3.0 Share Alike License, as is the music you're hearing by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech. Larry English can be found at LarryEnglish.net as well as CentricConsulting.com. There you can find all the information about his new book, Office Optional, where you can buy it, and how to book him for speaking engagements in the future. As always, I'm Jason Fisher, hoping you will find somehow to be better tomorrow. <laughs>